Hello everyone, it's John here, just recording a quick pre-episode pickup uh, with some details of things that we mentioned in the episode. So firstly, the Chengdu website is back up. That won't make any sense to you now, but it will do at about 12 minutes in. Secondly, we mention the launch of All These Worlds Reviews and Essays by Neil Harrison at Eastercon, but we don't mention it is on the Saturday afternoon, so do keep an eye out for that on the programme. And thirdly, we mentioned that we'll be recording at Eastercon, but we don't tell you when, and that is going to be at 1.30 in the afternoon on Monday. Yeah, it will be a kind of wrap-up of what's happened during the con. All right, now into the episode. In the last couple of weeks, the world's first octopus farm has opened. So if you haven't already stopped eating octopus, guys, you need to stop now. Or if you do carry on eating octopus, make sure it's wild-caught octopus and not farmed octopus. Because seriously, octopuses are intelligent. They may be as intelligent as us. We should not be farming them. Oh, my goodness. My wife and I do not eat octopus because, because although we eat many meats, we draw the line at intelligent creatures. It's also why we don't eat chat GPT. Well, that's mostly because although it isn't intelligent, it is very crunchy. All that silicon. <laughs> Liz, completely unmoved by that, listeners. Alison, chortling away without making a sound. This is a good... Sometimes my jokes land very much with one co-host and not the other. I'm not sure it landed exactly. I was just like, oh, God. It's more of a John's at it again, isn't he? Yes. John, John's gone off on a joke thread <laughs> That was it was that sort of a chortle. We were promised jet lagged. I'm not I'm not sure this is noticeably jet lagged. I actually uh I am jet lagged and the reason you can tell this is because I've only just worked out that when I adjusted the gain on my mic to make it good for podcasting, because the last thing I did before leaving for work was podcast, the gain was alright and I adjusted it to not alright and I've just adjusted it back again. So this will go at the front of the episode to be like, there's not much evidence of jet lag in here, but the sound quality on my track might be one of them. Don't know yet. Haven't listened back. Uh, So apologies, listeners, if I screwed that up. Hello everyone and welcome to the very 80th episode of Octothorpe, the podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom which is coming to you on the 30th of March 2023. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And today we have some letters of comment for you all. First up we have a letter of comment from Mark Plummer. Um, And we got Mark curious about word counts for the same text in different languages. So um, he says the top ranked German language book on Project Gutenberg is the Critique of Pure Reason by Immanuel Kant. And if you strip out all of the front matter and Gutenberg boilerplate, it's about 176,000 words. And the English language version is about 198. It is the Michael John translation, which is a detail he only mentions for obscure fan historical purposes. At the Harrogate Mexicon, the Friends of Foundation had a copy of the can on our table across alongside the G. Payton, Wharton Bakers and Festus Pragnalls and so on. And I think it was Michael Abbott who noted in the newsletter that it was the Michael John Grant translation. Sadly, I can't recall whether or not he thought that was a good thing. He can also report that War of the Worlds is about 60,000 words, but La Guerre de Mondes is about 64,000 words. Um, and The Gods of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs is about 83,000 words in English, but only about 57,000 words in Finnish. So thank you very much, Mark. Some case studies. 
yeah, there is some weird stuff going on there in Finnish, isn't there? It's interesting as well because, yeah, Mark points out that the text in English is 360,000 characters, but in Finnish it's 400,000 characters. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's interesting that it's so many fewer words, but those words are much longer. We didn't hear from Nicholas White, but we did read his Facebook. Yes, so I think two weeks ago I was saying I was quite confident that uh, nothing in a foreign language had ever been nominated for a fiction Hugo in a foreign language. And obviously because I was quite confident about this, I was probably wrong. But credit to me, I did spot this on Nicholas's Facebook myself. Uh, he didn't write in to, to let me know I was wrong. And that is because The Little Prince was a finalist for the Retro Hugo in 2019. And it's not clear whether that would have been, you know, was it the French original was nominated or the English translation? And even if one was actually eligible for the Retro Hugo and it wasn't translated till later, I'm guessing a lot of the nominators had read it in English. Fortunately, it was not a problem because with the wiggle room for novella, you could fit them both into um, the novella category, basically. So it wasn't a problem, but that is, yeah, I think one one edge case where it has come up. But I guess that's going to occur more regularly in the retros, where if something got translated 10 years later, it might already be, you know, it might be widely known, even if the one that could be nominated was the original. So there we go. I was wrong, but I think that's the only edge case. And it is a retros, and I don't pay any attention to retros. So that's my excuse. And that's why Liz's rockets always crash, because she doesn't pay attention to the retros. Yeah, I got it. I mean, I will say, I don't think enough attention is paid in the community to how great a, a like name the retro Hugos is. Like, even if you don't like the idea of going back and filling in the old, like the naming, oh, on point. On the subject of the retro Hugos, it does occur to me that there should be a conversion factors for how books were shorter in the old days. We should have book inflation. There should, we should write this into the Wussfuss Constitution. If anyone wants to co-sponsor, uh, let me know and I will propose it to Wussfuss. You know, I, think, I think the um, Wussfuss Constitution should have way more trivial amendments taking up time at the business meeting. I think that's what we'll need. That's exactly what I'm at the business meeting for. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if there is going to be... Okay, let me rephrase. When there is a lot of completely pointless trivia at the business meeting, it would be at least better if it were funny. Ian Hillman writes in to say that George Takai collaborated on a graphic novel called They Called Us Enemy that is also based around the experience of um, Japanese Americans in internment camps. And uh, he says that his understanding is that it's it was more critically well-received than the musical. Um, so if anyone is interested in that story but not interested in the musical, then we recommend you go, well, Ian recommends you go look that up. Thank you very much, Ian. And after our call for arachnophobes to tell us if they had read uh, works of Adrian Tchaikovsky, we got a letter from Gwen to inform us that uh, she read Children of Time knowing there were spiders and was pleasantly surprised at how much they liked it. So big thumbs up. Excellent. Thank you, Gwen. She actually said that she read it. She speed read the human chapters so that she could get to the spider chapters fast. I think I read A Deepness in the Sky by reading the human chapters as fast as possible so that I could get to the spider chapter. So maybe this is a thing. I mean, the spider chapters are vastly better, I think, in um, A Deepness in the Sky. Yeah, I think that's right. So maybe there's just something that's excellent about spider chapters. I I think the human chapters are good as well in Children of Time. It's just that if you can read about, like, people or... A novel spider people then you read about the novel spider people right 
this is how we know you're a science fiction fan. And yeah, if you liked the, you know, chapters with the spider people in Children of Time, then just wait for the sequel when there's other stuff. I have finished reading uh, Children of Ruin and there were some people who told me it was about octopuses and they were correct. But there is other stuff happening as well, which was very creepy. <laughs> I, mean, I liked the book a lot, but uh, but yeah, no. Yeah, it was good. I, it might be a spoiler. No, I mean that. I mean, no, I mean, and it is um, it is fantastic. Like, I didn't know that I liked spiders until I read that book. And I don't like spiders, but yeah. We got a letter of comment from a publisher. Um, so we got a letter of comment, or more accurately, a press release, from Briar Dean Books to tell us that all these worlds, reviews and essays by Neil Harrison, will be launching at EasterCon. Uh, so we will perhaps have that as a pick when it's out and one of us has read it spoilers listeners i have already got a copy but i've not finished i'm only about a quarter of the way through but it is very good and i will pick it eventually and finally we heard a lot about los Espookies. so there was at least one person who didn't get the name from the audio so it's los Espookies. readers that person was me you didn't you didn't stop me to query you just let me carry on um with no idea what i was talking about yeah, I think you said it was on Hulu, so I was like, oh, well, I won't, I won't be seeing that for a while. No, HBO. Wrong one. HBO. In the UK, it's on now. Yeah, so won't be seeing that for a while. But it's very good. It wasn't until I went to look at the Wikipedia article uh, that I realised that it has 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, so that, that is quite a high, quite a high rating. Um, but Karen Schaefer uh, wrote in to say, that she had watched it on our recommendation and was thoroughly enjoying it so i am very glad i'm very glad that that landed for someone great stuff oh and we also um heard from a member of the hugo girl podcast um we heard from two different members um so firstly we heard from amy who says that i'm right about spock and muck uh being great i assume and not the pronunciation you're definitely wrong about the pronunciation we also heard from Laurie, who said, here's a fun anagram she just noticed. Octothorpe Cast is an anagram of Octothorpe Cats, and we should have a spin-off show. And I am down. Uh, I will record my cats and put it up as a bonus episode one day. Raj tooted to us about episode 79, uh, confirming that he is not a teenage girl. Uh, he is a middle-aged Indian man who lives in Glasgow, even though there are some who would argue that his tastes haven't grown beyond those of a teenager. Uh, he disagrees with me strongly about Children of Time and says it's very much a book about spiders. I didn't think I had said it wasn't about spiders, but I is I agree with Raj, it's definitely about spiders. Maybe I should listen back to the episode and see what I said. Listeners, write in and tell me what I said. And he also asks about the Satellite 8 COVID policy. So he said, it looks fine to Raj, but then Raj thought that one about the Eastercom one too before Liz and I talked about it. <laughs> So, so uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, no, so the satellite eight COVID policy um, is a lot terser, and is is yeah, this seems good. It's it's seven. Well, it's two bullet points with seven sub bullet points, and they're all good bullet points, Brent. So I like it. I don't know if you've looked at it, Liz, but I have not. But I do like bullet points. Exclusive thingamajig. Yeah, it's not really an exclusive reveal that I like bullet points. Anyone who's heard anything I've ever written would be able to confirm that one. Bullet points are great is why. Yeah. 
Chengdu. In the regular, there's not much in the regular Chengdu is a shower segment, except that Chengdu sent everyone an email saying that they would be a shower imminently. Well, they just kind of said they... they Or are currently a shower, but imminently won't be. They just said they'd take their website down for maintenance, which is fine. And they told us they'd let us know again when it's up again. So as long as it comes up fairly quickly, I think that's fine. Yes. And and then I I was quite snarky about the lack of English in this... um, in this email and and i was called out for my um for my anglo privilege which is perfectly fair yeah i mean i'm of the opinion that like it was it was clear to me from the email what was going on which is the website was going down for maintenance be back later um and it's currently down i basically if your english is is not perfect but i can get the gist i don't care is is my philosophy on these things my philosophy i think is I hope is nuanced, which is <laughs> that'll be a first. Oi, Tom's full of nuance. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I'd say I'm half full. Oh, look at me being nuanced about my nuance. What? It's like nuance inception. My my perspective is basically if I hadn't talked to at least a few people who had attempted to volunteer for Chengdu and who are native English speakers and who had been resolutely ignored by Chengdu's volunteering team I would be more sympathetic but I think there is a I can see if it's like a small company who don't have native English speakers I'm completely fine with them not quite getting the English right but I do wonder whether Chengdu could have solved this by having a more um a a better onboarding process for English-speaking volunteers so like I think Liz is right but I also think Alison is right is that a good episode title we might have even used that one before, to be honest. I think that's fair. But, but I mean, I also think if what you're having a problem with is having enough native English speakers, then you may have a problem finding someone to do the onboarding for them. That is true, actually. That's a good point. But again, we really don't know anything about how the Chengdu Worldcon is running. It's so kind of uh, such a mystery to us that we've had a regular, <laughs> such a mystery that we've got a regular podcast segment on it. But I really don't know what's going on with internal communications. I mean, some things obviously are done bilingually. I suspect this was just, uh, oh, we better tell everyone the website's down, then they don't worry, um, and they wanted to get it out as quickly as possible. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Let's do picks. Liz, do you want to go first? Because you've just written something in the show document, and I haven't yet. Yeah, I might just have been putting my picks into the show notes as we speak, and... Again, I'm going to pick what may not be like the best thing I have read, watched, listened to, etc. But maybe the most interesting one to our listeners that I wish to talk about. And that is a 2022 novel by Gabrielle Zevin called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which has been getting a lot of attention in mainstream circles. Um, It's not because it's not science fictional, but it is uh, basically about the friendship of two people as they develop video games. So it's about these 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 two, Sadie and Sam, who meet as as children and they end up developing video games together. They make some very successful video games together. They have a video games company, you know, life strikes them, tragedy strikes them, things continue. And I, I thought it was pretty interesting. For me, like it has some excellent it has some excellent chapters, like there's one where it's all told through a kind of game which is sort of almost a cross between sort of Stardew Valley and the Oregon Trail 
which kind of is revealing stuff about the characters as we go along. It's kind of, there's some real video games in there as well. And there's also ones that are obviously inspirations to them, but all the video games they have worked on are fictional. And it's about kind of the tension between art and making money and about how two people can both make art that satisfy them. I mean, in a way it reminded me a bit of Mythic Quest, because I watched Mythic Quest season three as well. And obviously the heart of Mythic Quest is the, you know, Poppy and I and, and like the ideas versus the programmer and how you kind of both be satisfied in that. But yeah, I don't know if I would ultimately recommend it. I think the ending is a little bit weak. It's maybe a little bit long. And I think it maybe feels like, you know, this discussion of people making like a novel about people who make video games does not feel to me to be like quite as much as a revelatory thing as I suspect some of the mainstream reviews have thought about it but I did I did enjoy it and some of the kind of listening to the process of how they come up with these games and kind of technology moves on um, and the games become more technologically uh, progressed and uh, you know some of them are familiar to you from other you know you can kind of see how they would fit into our world of video games which is interesting so I think it's got enough in there to to recommend them Uh, I'm not sure I would say it is the best book of the year but it is uh, a pretty interesting one nice I've heard about it and read it, but I've like, I've seen Buzz. It's like Amazon's best book of 2022 or something like that. And, you know, it's been immediately optioned for film. And I thought it was fun, but maybe doesn't quite stick it. And some of the characters feel a little bit, I don't know, they're not ciphers, but some of the characters feel a little bit underdeveloped. There's one particular character who doesn't really have many flaws. I mean, seems a little bit too too perfect. And it's very fun to spend time with, but maybe doesn't quite work. But yes, it's in the top books of the year. And I have, I've only read, I've read two actually of Amazon's, three of Amazon's top 10 books of the year. And yeah, it's hard to rank them because it's got fiction and non-fiction in there. But I, I wouldn't have said it was number one. So I was listening to Liz's pick going, this sounds just like Mythic Quest. So she, she then said it was just like Mythic Quest, which is, I mean, I'm, in the time since we last recorded, I've listened, I've watched quite a bit more of Mythic Quest and I have actually got to the flashback episode in season three, which is called Sarayan and which re- I absolutely adored. So I thought that was amazing and a really a great payoff for a lot of the things I've been seeing in Mythic Quest. Plus, I still haven't quite got to the end, so there's a little bit more yet. And I don't know if there's going to be any more of it or not. It feels like they're wrapping up their story. That wasn't a pick. That was just kind of a reaction to Liz's pick. The reason I didn't pick Mythic Quest Season 3, I think I have picked Season 1 or maybe particular episodes previously, is that it feels like the thing I like in Mythic Quest is so much Poppy and Iron, and the things I dislike about Mythic Quest are rapidly becoming basically everyone else in Mythic Quest who is not Poppy and Iron. Because I just feel like the other characters are kind of not really going anywhere, or in some cases going around in circles, or in some cases going somewhere, but I don't really care. And they, like, the fact that you can take a character like Iron and make him kind of, make him at times a terrible, terrible person, but also, for most of the time, not to make him relatable and interesting and someone I want to see on screen, uh, I think is a great achievement. I love, I love Rachel and Joe. And Rachel, I think, is going to be very interesting. Like, I think her arc in season three is very interesting, and I'm I'm really interested to see what they do with Rachel and Dana in season four and um, when they re- renewed it they renewed it for season three and four so we do know in fact that season three is not the last series yes and that's not a spoiler because we did already know it although we may have forgotten and i did pick um mythic quest season three episode one as a pick a few weeks ago so 
that's another reason why I probably shouldn't pick it again for a while. Uh, I also love Carol, and I love how she's been ratcheted up. Uh, basically, I love all of them. Yeah, no, I disagree with Liz. I guess is the point I'm ba- making, slowly but surely. Yeah, that's the problem. You're like, I really love it with Rachel and Joe, and I'm like, I would be fine if we ex- excised all scenes with Rachel and Joe from the show. Sorry. No. I love Dana. And it's fair to say that I really loved Sarayan, which just has Poppy and Iron. Oh, no, I mean, Sarayan, Sarayan is amazing. Uh, all of the flashback episodes have been amazing. It was weird to see sam Witwer and robert picardo pop up in sarayan because so i was like they're famous are they who are they <laughs> no come on i just assume i have no cultural reference for the last 30 years yeah i had children oh come on allison joe joe manganello coming up as the actor they want to play um the masked man was i loved those episodes so much and i loved david and joe and joe like i loved all of that plot line Especially because I've just seen Magic Mike. So, and also, if you don't know this, uh, Joe Mangelero goes to every red carpet event with his tiny little dog, and it's very adorable. Uh, so, yeah, I just basically just want to be friends with Joe Mangelero. I mean, you know that Joe Mangelero famously has a D and D game. Yes. No, he's clearly a massive nerd. Yeah, he's supposed to got a D and D game with like Tom Morello and DB Weiss. <laughs> Definitely yep. a big nerd. I'm gonna pick peer pressure. You're told at school peer pressure is bad, but peer pressure is great, and I'm picking it. You could in some ways say that peer pressure is good, because due to the peer pressure of John Coxon and some other people who will remain nameless for this podcast, I have bought a plane ticket to Birmingham. Hey! So when we record at EasterCon, it will be the three of us. Holy... Oh, God! We thought it would be fun to tell Alison live on the podcast, and indeed it <laughs> is. Fuck you guys. <laughs> oh, God. You might have to beat that. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. That's so good. <laughs> yes. Um, so you decided you'd tell me live while we were recording, and that's why I've been like, who's, who's that, who's that stunt list going to be? Who's that stunt list going to be? Um, should we, should, should I lag a membership for Liz so that she can appear virtually from Thailand on the big screen? Oh, God, you guys. <laughs> I did wonder if we were going to have to spill the beans at that point. And then she was like, do you want a virtual membership? And I was like, no, which is technically correct. <laughs> I do not want a virtual membership. Have you actually joined the convention? No, I haven't got around to it yet. Um, because I lot. Okay, because if you joined the convention, it would have spilt the beans because I see all the memberships coming across my transom because I get copied in. Yeah, I thought it might. So I didn't, I didn't do it yet. Also, I was seeing if anyone had a membership that they might uh, sell me for cheapsies, but I can't find anyone. And I can't leave it until the podcast goes out. Say, sell me a membership. So I am going to have to go and buy one full price. But I did think that might spill the beans if I joined. So I deliberately didn't do it yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was partly, you know, I was like, oh, I'm not going to go. And then I talked to John and a few other people and they were like, wait, Neil is a guest of honor. Why are you not coming to Eastercom? And I was a bit like, mm, well, it's a long way because i'm a cheapskate yeah that was basically it was basically i was being a cheapskate and it was a long way um and then i counted my holiday days and so on and was like oh actually i could do this and it would be fine so i am when sue mason was guest of honor at minicon the whole plot cabal flew out to be at minicon where where we tested the theory that um that 13 brits which was how many brits in total were there this year could (laughs) 
drink the drink Minicon's famous free beer dry. And we did not manage it, but we came fairly close. So, yeah, no, I, I strongly recommend coming out to East Consul's Port Neil as guest of honour. And it's really lovely to see you. That's great. <laughs> Everyone else should also come to Eastcon. If you haven't booked your flight to Birmingham yet, it's time. I thought I might get the train. And also, or join us virtually, because there's going to be tons and tons and tons of virtual stuff. It'll be great, probably. So that is half of my pick. I will also pick a thing. Um... <laughs> you get to pick an actual thing, although we thought that would be quite funny. Yes. No, no completely worth it. Um, oh, you so... <laughs> I was going to, I'm not going to pick A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking because I picked it in episode 31, uh, which I found out all on my own because I'm great. <laughs> uh, editor's privilege. <laughs> but the thing I am going to pick is Digger. So Digger is a comic about a wombat, and Digger won the Hugo Award for Best Graphic Novel in 2011 or 2012. I forget which. But it was in, the entire thing was in the voter packet that year. So if you if you download Hugo Voter Packets and you are usually a member of the Worldcon, uh, then you may already have Digger on your hard drive. And it was 2012. Um, but there was a Kickstarter for a new version of Digger, which, was, which involved Pat Rothfuss. Um, he launched a new publishing imprint because he wanted to he wanted digger to be back available again and so i don't know when that version will be available for people to buy um, but if you don't have it it is a, a reprint is coming soon and yeah it's about a wombat and it's very good and it's very funny and it's very well drawn and it's just lovely so I highly recommend uh seeking out digger if you have not already read it and then it's allison's pick so I have had the huge luck to be able to read it over the last couple of days, an advanced reading copy of something very exciting indeed. Um, so you guys can't see it yet, but you'll be able to see it by the time this episode drops, I very much hope. And that is the programme for EasterCon. Hey! Which is fantastic and is full of excellent things, including um, Octothorpe Live, which as we now know, well, actually it depends if John's doing some editing, is going to feature all, all three of us live in Birmingham. Um, do we have any beer, guys? I have quite a lot of beer. What, like right now? Special, no, I meant special beer for Octothorpe Live. Oh, special, special beers for giving each other COVID, you mean? Yeah, you, <laughs> none of us gave any of each other COVID. <laughs> No, that's the episode title. <laughs> and we're all very excited about the program. I am on some program items. So I think the program items I'm on are all the kind of things the committee are on, and then which is the opening and closing ceremonies, and then um, Octothorpe Live. I am going to be at the Fan Funds auction, being the person who um, checks Discord for bids on Discord and tells people on Discord what the bid in the room is and stuff like that. So that's all I'm doing because i decided i couldn't cope with program i will be i will be back on on convention programs next year i should think or later this year but not this one yes so i am on so liz isn't on anything because as mentioned previously liz does not yet is not yet a member of the uh convention but she will definitely be on Oxthorpe live i am on down the virtual pub fan groups in the time of covid19 and beyond which will be 9 p.m on saturday uh with marcin clack tim mendeleys and Frandaud. 
I'm on Future of EasterCon at 9am on Sunday, uh, so 12 hours later, with Phil Dyson and Farah Mendelssohn. And then I'm on the Third Row Fandom panel on Monday at 10.30. Yeah, I have to say, down the virtual pub is the item that I probably would have wanted to be on if I'd been on programme items. So I might be in the audience for that one, but I might also be in the bar as it's 9pm on Saturday. I mean, I'm absolutely going to be on the one about the third, come come to the one about the third row and sit in the third row and heckle. I mean, obviously. Yep. Yep. I would. I mean, I assume you're going to, I assume the convention is aware that the third row in that panel is going to need to have more chairs in it. Because like, there's quite a lot, there might be quite a lot of people wanting to sit in it. I don't know. It's a state of mind, John. It's not literally the third row. It is a state of mind. Uh, this will be the schism of the third row one day. <laughs> uh, a lot of people are probably very confused right now, so you'll have to come to that panel to find out what we are talking about and tackle John. Yes. The other programme item I'm excited to go to is the book launch of Neil Harrison's book, All These Worlds, Reviews and Essays, which I should be at, trains permitting. When is that now? I think it's Friday at 7.30pm, not a.m. Having not actually done anything to prepare for EastCon beyond having a plane ticket. I have no idea what system they're using this year. What are they using for sign-ups and so forth? Uh, it's Plan Z. Plan Z. Ooh, schism. Plan Z, yes. What it's called in English. And what is that? Isn't it being developed by James Shields? Is that right? I thought it was a consortium of people pulling it together. Okay. Might be. Might be. It seems fine. It's doing the things we need it to do, I think. People are going, it's a bit hard. But I mean, I think that's true of all of the... No, but I mean, is, is Plan Z based on Zambia, the other program software? If you search for Plan Z schedule, the conversation is the first link. So I, I don't think it's like a pre-existing thing that they're using, right? I, it must be bespoke. No, in that case, it's James Shields again. I think it's interesting that Eastercon are using a different piece of software, which allows you to do the sign-up method, which Eastercons have not historically used for program, I don't think. They've mostly gone for the, we are assigning you to a bunch of stuff, here it is, send us an email and argue about it with us if you like, um, which is a very sort of top-down mechanism. It certainly seems like there has been a shift, right? Because Worldcon this time also used the you can sign up for, you know, we'll give you a lot of items and you can sign up for the ones you think you are interested in. Um, and I see Easter Connors Conference. It's going to be interesting to see how we think that is working versus the traditional method of some programmers put you on some stuff, uh, you decide whether it's actually the stuff you would like to be on or not, uh, and send an email of varying levels of politeness based on um, how much we have got your subject matter of interest wrong. So I'm interested to see how it works. I was interested that there was... What was interesting to me is that I went on Plan Z and I filled in the... I went through the list and filled in the ones I thought I might be good on. I think I picked out like four or five maybe and like rated one as like quite high and then a few others as like, you know, I think I'd be interested on this but equally I don't think I'd necessarily have unique insights so if you have someone better, great. And then I went on the list of ones that they'd already sort of earmarked me for and there were a couple where I'd looked at and thought, ah, it might be a good pick for that. But equally, am I just like kidding myself? And I was on them <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, OK. Um, so that was kind of interesting because I was like, oh, maybe I'm like being slightly too like harsh on my myself. 
it seems like it seems like they're kind of ad- approaching it from both ways where you can express in- interest but there's there's also clearly a level where they're like well you know we know john could be on a panel about x so we will sort of put him on and hope he says yes the program items i see look good there were a few where i was like oh i could be on that one but i'd also quite like to go to it um which is nice one of the ones I one of the ones I signed up for, but I was like, I mean, an ring about was 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 one on tabletop games where I'm like, I could be on it, but equally, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to just being in the audience. Listeners, if you are in the thing, you can see all of the slots that are open for signups. Which I think there aren't, there shouldn't be very many of those anymore because because we're tying up. I mean, I think today is essentially the the fi- po- program gets finalised day. Okay. I mean, that, and by today, I mean Sunday, not Thursday, when you're hearing this, listeners. Yeah, but people will always, you know, people have probably been dropping in and out quite a lot through the whole process anyway. It's always what happens. But yeah, I am quite enjoying basically just going to conventions and not doing anything. I mean, I did some stuff at Worldcon because I felt like, oh, I'm a finalist, I should do some things. But it's quite nice to just rock up and not do anything. I have been asked to be involved with Glasgow's program team at a very kind of at a very kind of undemanding level and i have said all right uh on the basis that basically they're at the just throwing ideas into a mailing list stage which is probably about a level of effort i'm willing to engage in but meg will be listening to this and being like hang on a minute john said yes to a glasgow thing and then i will receive <laughs> text messages being like what else will you say yes to john and uh so that's terrifying and also meg can ply me with booze at eastcon which was also terrifying Alison, you are hard at work on doing things for a convention. But my understanding is that convention is, at least in part, core flu. So do you want to tell us about core flu? Um, yes. Yeah, so I am very excited about EasterCon. I am working very hard on EasterCon. But the reason I'm working very hard on EasterCon is that on Thursday morning, I'm going to fly to Belfast for one, two, three, four, five days um, and not do any more work on EasterCon until I get home. So, um, sorry, Eastcon. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some things, but I'm probably not going to be doing a lot of Eastercon stuff because I'm going to be sitting in a bar talking to Fazzy Fazzle. I was just reminded of Corflu very much when Liz was saying how nice it was to go to conventions and not do very much because I feel like Corflu is an entire convention dedicated to going to a convention and not doing very much. Um, though there's quite a lot more program than I used to for Corflu, partly because some of the Corflu team are about to bid to hold the Eastercon in Belfast in 2025, which I'm also very excited about. We must have talked about this on the pod, right? Don't think we have. Yeah. So, so one of the things we should put on the agenda for Octothorpe Live is my impressions of the Belfast Eastercon site, which I'm hoping to see on Friday. So. Uh-huh. So, yeah, by the time you listen to this, I will be on a plane or about to get on a plane or more likely waiting around an airport or um, something of that kind. But then I'll be in a bar in Northern Ireland drinking, drinking good beer, I hope. This is pretty exciting, which is that Corflu, which is not a very big convention, um, but this is Corflu 40. And there are going to be, I think, 12 people at Corflu 40 who were at Corflu 1. So I think that's quite good. Quite, you know. Not a bad attrition rate. That is neat. Corflu has quite an old demographic. And it's also got quite a lot of people who you wouldn't necessarily expect to be at Corflu who are excited by the fact that it's in Belfast or 
excited by the fact that it's a convention a week before EasterCon or something, things of that kind. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I'm not really doing anything for it, except that they keep sending me emails saying, Alison might have a view on this. Um, and they always involve work. I am excited by the idea of Belfast conventions. I think this is good. Uh, I'm very excited about the idea of an EasterCon in Belfast. And it just means that Wales needs to get its stuff together and uh, get the EasterCon. And we've had one in each of the four constituent blobs. Blobs is the safest word. And you better be quick while we still have four constituent blobs. Yeah, come on, Wales. Come on. you got maybe three years. Let's do this. Look, they got very close. And we ha- we will have had one in four constituent blobs because, of course, we've had one in Jersey. That's true. I'm looking forward to the Belfast EasterCon. Um, should it be selected, which hopefully it will be, will there be? Will the site selection vote have happened? Are they planning to go for site selection at conversation? Yeah, there'll be site selection at conversation. I believe they'll vote. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure there's site selection at conversation. Well, some I know that, like for instance, Phil Dyson presented two years ahead but said, like, we're actually going to go for the vote one year ahead. So I, I know that this can be fuzzy. I believe that was just due to the, like, that was a, we'd like to bid, but we are not yet in the position to be ready to do it. Whereas Glasgow is more, you know, not Glasgow, sorry, Belfast are, you know, I think more settled. Like, they have a venue and everything. So my understanding is that they are bidding this year. And if they're not, could they please tell us pronto? Because I think that's also the chair's understanding. I'd let you, you'll be able to tell us how Corflu was as well at the EasterCon Live. Although we might be distracted by talking about how EasterCon was. I, I, there's a good chance I won't remember a lot of it. You might have to take notes. I mean, as I recall, last year there was not a lot of actual, like, full-on content at all. But we, yeah. can, we can aim for that this year. Oh, yeah, now, this is, a good, this is a good point. We would like to encourage listeners to send us things for us to talk about at EasterCon. Oh, yeah. If you are listening and you think that there is something you would like to hear, please write in because we never have any idea what to talk about and we just want to talk about what you want to listen to. So that's not always true. Sometimes we like to talk about the hard things that you don't want to listen to, but you need to. Um, But at the EastCon live show, what we want to do is be very gentle and lovely and just talk about shiny things. Um, So yes, if you have any ideas, please write in. Can I do Ogdthorpe Gaming's Corner, sponsored by Mark Plummer. Mark Plummer, for when you need information, but in a funny way. New new tagline, Mark. If you need to get that on business cards, I charge no fee. So basically, I went on a work trip for two weeks, and I took a bunch of solo board games, and they make work trips way less boring. <laughs> it was good. And I don't know whether I've ever picked it on the podcast. And this isn't a pick, obviously, because I would be greedy. But Under Falling Skies is a um, solo board game I took with me to the States, and I played that a bunch. Uh, and it was good. And I also took a print and play of Arkham Noir, which is a solo card game, which I can't... I'm not sure if it's good. It's enjoyable, but I won twice out of two games, and I'm a bit like, <sighs> it's challenging, but... I need to. I might need to play again at a higher difficulty and see whether that improves it. Um, but yeah, no solo board games. They're nice. But I'm glad to be back. And the reason I'm going to a friend's house this afternoon, and this is a short record, is because I'm going to a friend's house and I'm going to play games with other people, which I haven't done since uh, 
b- before last time we recorded. I also love solo games. And in fact, I have both of the ones John mentioned, both in print and play versions rather than... I think John has the commercial version of Under Falling Skies. Um, but the printed play is free and you can go and download it and print it and it's a lot of fun. Um, and I a bit of big whine yesterday, which was like, oh, God, my entire life is getting up and not playing games and doing EasterCon actions all day and then falling asleep. And then my daughter came over and we played Terraforming Mars, which is quite a long book game. <laughs> it only took us four hours this time, which is faster than the previous time. Are you going to... Are you eventually going to pick Terraforming Mars? Oh. Because, you know, that is the sort of thing that on a future episode you could pick because it is an SF work. It's from 2016, yes. I don't think we picked it yet, though. It's been optioned for a movie, which I am confused by because it doesn't have a plot. And realistically, like, what are you optioning? Still, still waiting for the good the the funniest thing about terraforming Mars so far is that they've got examples in the rule book of situations in the game and they have three players who are called kim stanley and robinson <laughs> i don't think i knew that that is quite excellent yeah i mean i would like to see someone i mean i've only played the terraforming mars card game with john but i would like to see someone option terraforming mars and turn any video basically someone wants to make the mars trilogy but the mars trilogy is still under option so they're doing terraforming mars potentially yeah i mean i guess but like terraforming mars is like just a game about i mean obviously it's a game about terraforming mars right this is not surprising but like it's not like the expanse is a about terraforming mars they didn't i don't understand what it is you're optioning like the concept of terraforming mars is something you can make a movie about Mm. and they said like oh we want to explore like colonialism i'm like the board game doesn't touch on colonialism at all i it's really i don't understand i guess it's so that they can call it terraforming mars and get the board game fans in but i don't know how much money that's worth clearly something because they spent money on it but um but yeah odd i was a bit nonplussed when you said you could take it as a pick because nothing i like about it really has a lot to do with the theme you know but that doesn't matter yeah okay we we, let's let's take this another time i mean i i do Uh, well hang on no i mean i don't mean i don't mean like there is the argument artistically that it doesn't matter but like my first pick this episode was peer pressure uh and it's not i didn't pick that for the sf nor quality of the idea <laughs> i picked it for the lulls and so i do think it's important that we have a rule that sometimes we're allowed to like we don't necessarily have to pick at things for the broad philosophical conversations they unlock listeners will be like but you always pick things for the broad philosophical questions they unlock obviously uh we pay attention <laughs> okay fair um yeah no so a future pick terraforming mars maybe um so yeah so i did squeeze a four-hour board game into yesterday and watch the second episode of ted lasso that was the octothought podcast and it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me Plan Z was the name given to the planned re-equipment and expansion of the Kriegsmarine ordered by Hitler in early 1939. I do not think that is the Plan Z I am looking for. Possibly you shouldn't have a piece of software you use for your schedule where if you Google for it, 
you get a thing about Hitler. I don't know how to diplomatically put that in the thing. No, I think just like if I was naming a thing that is not, I would just like, if I'm naming a thing, the first thing I do is Google it to see if there's anything else with the same name. And while I appreciate that this is not in the similar vein, there's going to be confusion, you probably don't want it to be a thing that people Google and go, oh, which I just did. No, that is true. I'm sure it wasn't the intent, but it might be that after this year, that name could be sort of politely retired in favour of something less uh, Hitlery. I mean, I, I suspect it's, if it is a fork of Zambia, then that's a reason to use it. A hundred percent, that's probably why. Listeners write in, but it, did it take us 80 episodes to trigger Godwin's Law? Because that's a pretty good run. It's possible, yeah. <laughs> I really think you should cut this stuff out. I mean, we can see. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.